0: So Money, episode 176, Daphne Oz.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Tarabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh yourself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. Happy Monday. Hope you all had a great 4th of July weekend, Independence Day weekend. We were in the midst of moving, in fact, to our sublet uh, right across the street. We are um, transitioning right now as our apartment is going under renovation. Need to find a new place to live. I have a bit of a fever and a cough, which you're going to hear a little bit throughout these interviews this week. I apologize. But you know what? It's uh, it's all good. Life is good. No complaints. Just a little inconveniences here and there. And um, brings me now to our guest today who is really a ray of sunshine. I love this woman. She can turn any frown upside down. Uh, her name is Daphne Oz. And if you know her name, it sounds familiar. It's probably because, well, you've either seen her on TV or you know about her famous father, TV doctor, Dr. Mehmet Oz. And Daphne Although she has a very successful father, she in her own right is also very accomplished. She's a natural food chef, a New York Times bestselling author, and co-host of ABC's hit lifestyle series, The Chew. Daphne has a degree in nutrition and a culinary degree from the Natural Gourmet Institute, and she offers her expertise as the choose face of healthy living and residential practical tipster, sharing helpful information and her unique personal insights to make healthy living fun, easy, And of course, delicious. Daffy's written two best-selling books. The first is The Dorm Room Diet. There she shares a healthy lifestyle plan that she developed in college that helped her shed over 30 pounds without giving up the food she loves. And her new book is called Relish, an adventure in food, style, and everyday fun. It's a cookbook and a lifestyle guide full of tips and tricks that she uses to achieve easy style at home in her wardrobe. also gives advice for career and relationships along with yummy, healthy recipes. Daphne has a refreshing, realistic perspective on balancing the happy, healthy life, and I'm excited to pick her brain. So with our conversation... With Daphne, we learn a lot of things. I mean, she is quite the well of knowledge. Uh, being a young woman, too, I think. I don't even think she's 30 years old yet. She's expecting her second child. She's had so many career experiences. She grew up in a household that was very much um, sort of academic and – Um, brainy. And so I loved hearing all that she had to say about motherhood and career and relationships and money and how she tries to, as she says, you know, really seize the moment and experience life in the now. She's not actually a big rainy day saver. We also talk about the day that she realized her father had become somewhat of a celebrity and how she felt about it. And this really broke my heart. When she was nine years old, went to a Yankees game with her dad and uh, learned a very, very tough financial lesson that day. And I'll just leave it at that and have you listen to the interview. But without further ado, here is the lovely, the talented Daphne Oz. Daphne Oz, welcome to So Money. A pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so much going on in your life. You know, I was just reading about you in the Huffington Post online and, uh, you had this really great kind of mantra that you said that you, you like that you kind of live by. And it's like everything worth doing in life is worth doing well. And so. I can sense you don't half-ass anything, Daphne. I mean, you're, you're, you're super accomplished at a very young age. You try not to. But is this? I will ask everything. (laughs) I'm curious, is this something that you grew up thinking that you were, you know, were raised to sort of embrace life to the fullest or that you came to this realization as a young adult? What, what was the genesis for this, um, for this mantra really being something that resonated with you?
1: No, I can't take any credit for the genesis of that. It, it was 100% something that my dad um, taught all of us, all of his kids, what, as we were growing up, which is, you know, he didn't care if we succeeded or failed. He didn't care if we, um, you know, if we we did everything or did only some of the stuff he wanted us to do or anything like that. All he cared about was that whatever we chose to do, we gave it a hundred and ten percent. I mean, he, you know, it's funny because he had three girls before he had a boy. And I'm, I'm the oldest, and. All of his analogies are sports analogies. And so for us, it was always like, "What? What do you mean? Go for the go for gold? What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? Go shoot for the hoop? What does that? What does that mean?" I, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm already mauling and and completely distorting what the actual phrases are. But there were all these kinds of sports analogies, and I didn't. You know, none of them made any sense to us. But um, but this was one that stuck so well for me because it was this idea of. Of, you know, he wanted us to be in charge of our own destinies. He wanted us to see how much hard work paid off and that that was really the crux of success was, was not, you know, was not whether you got acknowledged for it, was not whether you, you know, were, were rewarded in some way. It was really that you gave it your all and that you saw the results of that hard work. And I think, you know, what 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 the, you know, the, the product of that is, is you do end up more successful. You do end up more being able, not not, not just in a, you know, sort of the the normal way of thinking about success, but just in terms of being able to cram everything you want to do into your life, into the very slim 24 hours a day that we're given. Um, And a lot of that comes down to being motivating, motivating yourself, being self-motivated, but also being aware that you know, if if everything you're going to do is going to take 100% of your effort and it's going to be something that you work hard for, you probably got to narrow down what you spend your time on, too. You know, you can't go and try to just do everything part way. You've really got to pick what are the things that I'm going to excel at? What are the things that are really important to me? And here's how I'm, here's my plan of attack, how I'm going to do it the best that I can.
0: Did you always know that you wanted to pursue a career where you were helping people with their I guess, your work spans health, lifestyle, cooking, um, and you're on television, you write books. Did you always know that you wanted to have this platform?
1: You know, I think it's funny. People people ask me that question. I think anyone in media would tell you, you know, I, I love being on TV and I felt that the minute that I started doing press for my first book, dorm room diet, I felt like, my gosh, this is a platform where I can talk to so many people all at once with a really important message that I, that, you know, dorm room diet was all about the way that I really seized my college experience to lose 40 pounds that I've been carrying around all throughout my childhood that had made me unhealthy, that made me unhappy and how I'd really used college as a way to still go to the keggers and the pizza parties and have fun and have my full college experience, but really, um, adopt my healthy adult living and lifestyle. Um, and that was information that I thought was so crucial and so fun because I was living the life that I, that I was trying to talk about. And I was doing it from exactly the age group of people I was trying to speak to, which were people in the college age market who were sort of had been kind of left out of the healthy living, um, you know, talk. At this point, this was 2006. Yeah, you're just going kind to of gain 15 pounds. Just deal with it, right? right. That's, that's kind right. of the well, expectation. That, that's kind of the mantra. Exactly. That's what they've been told. And I felt like, my gosh, you know this is an audience that has a huge potential because we are finally out of the nest. We're finally like free, and that freedom represents a huge amount of, of responsibility. But we need to be talking to each other in a way that makes it feel accessible and fun, and not um, not overwhelming, and not like a second job. To, you know, being healthy shouldn't have to feel like so much work. So, in any case, it was. It, I, I felt really passionately about the message. I felt really passionately that I was someone to talk about it in a realistic way because not only was I living it myself, but I. I was in the age group. I was in the market. I understood in it specifically what it was that made college challenging and how you could be successful in that environment. Um, and I really felt like TV gave me such a good platform to share that from, but, but you know, nothing is guaranteed in media and it's, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And if the chew hadn't come along, um, you know, right when I graduated college at a, you know, at a time when I was really perfectly suited for it and it was perfectly suited for me, who's to say where, you know, where I, where I would or would not have landed on that. Um, and I definitely am a big believer of, in the idea that another one of my dad's mantras that I actually do remember from the from the playing field <laughs> it was he said he said you can't uh, you can't catch the ball if you're not standing on the field and that what he meant by that was this idea of. You know, you you have to be open to all the opportunities. You have to keep your eyes open. You have to surround yourself with interesting people and with, um, you know, people who are either in the field you want to be in or or can help you sort of think through choices you should be making, so that you're just aware of opportunities as they come up. Um, so you know, the way that I was doing that was I, you know, I kept writing, I kept writing, I kept, uh, you know, for Huffington Post and and other online platforms, Oprah.com. Um, I kept my own knowledge base up and running. You know, I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I studied more on the basis of integrative health so that I could sort of have more of a platform there. I ended up going to a cooking school, went to, to the Natural Gourmet Institute. So, you know, keeping myself apprised of everything cool going on in this field. I knew I wanted to end up in, but I also made some mistakes along the way, as I think we all do. And I, I, um, I actually found myself, and not that this is a mistake, it's just a choice that I made that ended up not being the right one for me. Um, I went back to pre-medical post back at Columbia. (laughs) Yeah. At the time I thought I was like, maybe I'll end up being a doctor. And, you know, that was sort of the route that, every male in my family, except for one lone black sheep lawyer is a doctor and, and all the women are, you know, in in their own ways involved in health, but not, you know, not specifically as surgeons. And I had this fascination growing up. Maybe I would be the first woman in my family to go on and be a surgeon. And so I, I, you know, I was, I enrolled in the pre-medical post program. I, I did about two months in the, in the program structure. And I realized what I was really hoping to do was give people accessible ways to feel like they're in control of their health. And that the the way that I again, like this goes back to our first part of the conversation, what was I going to be able to do the best? And how, what was I going to be the happiest doing? And I, I had to do some soul searching and realize that like walking the halls of the hospital, you know, being being a surgical resident for the next umpteen years of my life Was not going to be how I felt I could be the most effective me. And, uh, you know, what I realized as I was doing these sort of integrated health and nutrition programs and doing the cooking school was that I love to cook, I love food, and food is actually a choice that we each make individually three times a day that has a huge impact on our health. And it's a really, you know, it's it's an incredible way for us to feel empowered about our own bodies and about the way that we go through life. Um, And I realized like that was really where I wanted to live and, and make my mark if I could.
0: Your book, your latest book, Relish, an adventure in food style and everyday fun. You said you wanted to write this book so that you could stop living what you call your placeholder life was thinking that you were going to go and become a surgeon, (laughs) like the placeholder.
1: You know, it's actually, I wrote Relish when I was just coming out of being in like, so my husband and I have been married a year I went, I went to pre-medical post back probably the year or two before that I was, I was coming, I was, I was about a year into the chew at the point that I was writing relish. And I felt like I, the placeholder was more like I was living in a white box apartment. I was waiting for my real life to kick in when I, you know, when I would have the, the house that you fantasize about and the career that you fantasize about and the, the relationship that you fantasize about. And you know it was for me, in terms of timing, it was just this idea of like I was really happy to to coast and then to wait and see when real life would kick in, and I thought that would happen maybe around forty like you know sure. completely arbitrarily just a random number um and it wasn't you know not there it wasn't anything that I was unhappy, and i was I was thrilled about everything I was doing. I just don't know that I was doing them you know, the way I would have liked to be, or the way that I optimally would have been to get me to the place where I would want to end up at 40, 50, 60 down the road. So, but, but even more than me, I wrote relish because I would go to dinners with my friends and we'd be, you know, sharing a glass of wine and, um, or a bottle of wine. I would have my right. own glass. <laughs> and, uh, and I, uh, I, we would talk about placeholder lives and, you know, across the board, if, if for me, it was more in the, in the sort of like, am I putting my best self out there in health and in, um, you know, in, in my fashion and in, um, in the way that I like live my life at home and is there style in my home for my friends, it could be in their relationship. I, you know, for my, for my other friend, it could be in her career. So there were, there were in, in each of us, there was something that we were feeling like we were treading water. And I realized that that this is something across, when I mean, people talked about the quarter life crisis, like it was a bad thing. But what, what I think is actually happening is, you know, I was I was maybe 25 at the time, um, 24 probably. What, what was happening is you're going through this actually incredible gift. You're going through this incredible process early on in our life, whereas our parents and our grandparents and everyone before them would have left college if they went to college and, you know, gotten a job and stayed in that job until they died, basically, or retired you know, now we're given this gift of, of it being a real preference in our society that you spend time finding a career that you love, that you choose your passion. And that's really, you know, honestly, as someone who, who it took some time to figure out what my passion was going to be, it is actually extremely uh, debilitating for someone to say, you know, here are all the opportunities. Now pick one that you feel like is going to be your Mm -hmm. passion when you, you know, it's almost like too many doors. And I always felt like if I, if I picked one door, all the others were going to close. So in any case, you, I, I think you spent a lot of time experimenting and, and, and sort of figuring yourself out in your twenties. And I think that what ends up happening from that is, although, you know, certainly we see now millennials, quote unquote, we have a lot more careers early on than our parents did certainly you know, eight or nine or 10 jobs before we, before we hit 30 at sometimes, um, uh, um, what you end up with is finding a career that really fits you so that you don't end up with the midlife crisis, which to me sounds much more scary. Like when right. people are relying on you, when you have your life kind of set up and then you're given this moment to decide, am I really happy or have I been living the last 25 years in, in misery? Um, so in any case, I, you know, I found with relish, you know, I, I wanted to maximize this quote unquote quarter life crisis. I wanted to figure out the fun and easy and most importantly, effective ways to start living my maximized life in every aspect. So that was my first and foremost, my relationships with my family, my friends, my husband, my, my career, my fashion and my style and my home and my wardrobe. And then in my leisure time. And my, And that was something that I put a lot of preference on too, was this idea of like, if you're going to, if you're going to, I would so much rather give a hundred percent when I am at work and then have my free time to myself to really like, you know, live this wonderful rich life that I want to have, um, then, then half acid at work and then kind of have to be on call all the time when I'm home too. Um, so anyway, relish was this collection of all the great, Uh, the great tips and tricks. Not that I'm some kind of guru that I just came up with all these. I like, I researched it to the hilt. I met all these experts. I talked to everyone I could. I did glean some of my own insights from, from my own experiences that I've shared as well. But it really was just like all the best, most effective, ways that I've, and tools that I've used to live my maximized life. And, and it's also 80 plus recipes that I use on a regular basis that I feel like really strike that balance between what's healthy and convenient and, you know, affordable and available and what's beautiful and delicious and fun and really going to make you feel like it was worth taking the time to cook for yourself and finding that overlap and finding the recipes that live there. Um, these are some of my favorites. So that's, that's all the stuff I put in relish it's the
0: modern woman's
1: guide to everything <laughs> in <laughs> well, a nutshell. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope also to having fun. Like that was a huge preference of mine too, was this idea. Like I did not want it to live in the self-help world of, of, um, you know, scrap everything you've been doing. You've been doing it all wrong. Here's how to do it right my way. And that's just like, so not <laughs> how I, you know I, I live. Um, I felt like, you were, most of us are probably doing a lot of things, right. It's just a matter of little tweaks, doing little things a little bit better that yield big results. And, and, you know, to not make it a second job, to not make it feel like a chore, to make it fun and to make it something that you feel like you can really use in your everyday life.
0: Let's talk about relishing our financial life. This show is called So Money. And so we like to have candid conversations about money on the show. And you've been so transparent and honest with me thus far about everything. I'm curious. We talked about mantras already and um, maximizing life. How, If there was a mantra that kind of encapsulated your financial take on things, what would you say is your financial philosophy?
1: Ooh, good question. Um My financial philosophy uh, is, you know, is, is probably, and this is probably really financially irresponsible and I'm going to hear about it, but I, (laughs) I, I, you know, I do, I do save and I actually, my parents love to tell this story of how when I was, um, <laughs> when I was nine and running my own, like, like black market candy ring on my school bus, I would save all my Easter candy until everyone had already eaten every all of theirs. Um, and then I would bring it on the bus and sell it at a huge markup. Like I would sell like, <laughs> I'd not even say, like I would sell like white chocolate bunnies for like $12. Oh <laughs> my sell, gosh. It was ridiculous. That's brilliant. I I mean, I thought so. I thought thought so as a (laughs) nine-year-old. Until you got caught. Yeah. You know, um, but I, you know, I, I've always had this sort of like, I, I love to barter and I love, and we go to my, my family lives in Turkey. My, my father's parents live in Turkey. Um, and we always would go, uh, to see them over there. And I, um, I love to like, you know, go and sort of haggle at the bazaar and all that stuff. And I, and I have like an acute awareness of money and, and of having and having and not having, like, I always like to know there's a certain, you know, certain amount in my bank account that I can pull from. So there's a security there that I get from, from having that knowledge. But beyond that, I try not to quote unquote, save for rainy days. Like I, my husband and I are really big into this idea of, and we talked about this a lot before we had Philo. Um, that you know our kids were going to come into our lives. That we were going to really be able to continue to you know to an extent. Obviously, your your life mostly becomes about your kids, but you want you want to be able to continue to live a life that you love in terms of, you know, if it's going to a concert every now and then, or it's going on vacation and, you know, taking a trip. And I wanted our kids to be able to do those things with us. So Fila comes out to eat with us all the time. You know, we do take her to these like impromptu gatherings with our friends. We try not to limit ourselves by virtue of the fact that we now have a baby. And it's, you know, obviously that is sometimes impossible, but I try to. Um, But, you know, because of that, We try not to worry, you know, going out to dinner, spending money on something like that, or, or taking a nice trip. Those are memories. And I find that the plate, you know, the plate, as long as you have money to, you know, cover your food, cover education, which is something we're starting to think about now and putting away for that. Um, and your home, you know, having those experiences, uh, that's the best thing my money can buy. So I think that's probably it is, is I don't save for rainy days. I spend now.
0: <laughs> well, I, but to be fair, I mean, you're probably you are you are thinking long term, too. I mean, you're thinking about retirement, right? And like your future. Maybe you don't have like a six month cushion, but the money's there if you need it.
1: Right, well, you know, I think I think I was raised with a, an attitude of, you know, my dad, um, you, know, my dad was a resident at what he was even, he was in medical school and then a resident, you know, the whole time I was growing up, he was, um, and people don't know this. They obviously know him now as Dr. Oz. They know him as Oprah's doctor, like all this stuff, but he didn't even go on Oprah till I was a senior in high school. Um, and so I didn't grow up with like any kind of that, that kind of existence. I grew up with a very, a very comfortable, but very, you know, moderate existence of, of just a doctor, um, at the head of the family. And it was this idea of like, you get a skill set and you work your ass off and you are the best in your field and you will always make money. Um, And so I, I have that degree of self-confidence of like, I will always be able to make myself money. Um, But I think that at the same time, maybe it's, me being raised the way that I was, or just the, my own fears and my own anxieties and, and just whatever it is, I am always concerned about having money for the future. So I think, um, you know, I think, I think probably my idea is at least if I'm using the money well, it won't go to waste because my, you know, you hear, God forbid, but like you hear things like the Bernie Madoff stuff and you hear things about stock market crashes and there are all these people who thought that they were in great shape for their future and maybe they didn't have the experiences because they were saving up and trying to sort of create this wonderful nest egg for later on and then it's all gone. So at the very least I want to have had all the, the rich life experience I'm able to provide for me and my family.
0: What was the biggest noticeable difference change that happened when your dad became "quote unquote" Doctor Oz for your family? Um, Can you share a memory of that? Like, kind of, there was a moment where you were like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is taking on a life bigger than than us."
1: (laughs) Well, I will tell you my most embarrassing life yes, please moment. Um, Actually, (laughs) I think that's what I really wanted to ask you around (laughs) when I realized this was happening. Um, I was uh, I guess I was a senior in high school cause it was, it was right around the time he was starting to get on, be on Oprah more regularly. And he was voted People Magazine's sexiest doctor, which I didn't <laughs> even know they had like a category for, but, but apparently they did. Um, and it was in the, their sexiest man alive issue. And this guy that I thought was just the King of the Hill in our high school. Um, it came up to me and Ed was like in the interview as background. My dad had said that he and my mom had sex four times a day, which he was misquoted. He, I think he'd actually said four times a week, but it doesn't matter either way. You don't want to hear about this, no, and much less oh. do you want to see it written in a magazine that millions of people read. So, so anyway, he came up to me and he was like, "So I hear your parents have sex <laughs> four times a day. And I was, Is that I was hereditary?" Wanted to throw up and die all at once. Like, it was awful. (laughs) Yeah, is that hereditary? Exactly. So, in any case, I think that's about when I realized, like, his reach was becoming much broader (laughs) than it had been. But, you know, it's funny because I um, I don't, I even now, like, you know, obviously he gets recognized everywhere. And and it's amazing because I feel like both for his show and actually for The Chew as well, and obviously, I know, I'm, I'm, not claiming anywhere near the amount of notoriety or recognizability my dad has. But what I love is the fans of both of our shows, when they come up to us and they recognize us, it's like, it's like, it's like they see their friends. I mean, for him, they see their doctor. For him, they see this guy that's in their living room every day, finally talking to them about their health in a way that they get and that they feel empowered by and they feel like oh my gosh, like the, the the veil is lifted a little bit. And my doctor is actually taking time to sit with me and explain these things to me so that I can be better for myself. For us, it's like, oh my gosh, my friends who I hang out with in the kitchen every day, who like make me delicious meals. And oh, wasn't that funny when you joked about this, that, that, and the other that happened. It's just such a different, it's not like celebrity dumb where they recognize someone they've seen in movies. They, they see someone they think they know personally. And it's actually such a warm and lovely feeling. Um, that is, it was completely unexpected to me.
0: Uh, you mentioned earlier that you had some failures and successes along the way and kind of realizing what you wanted out of life in your financial life. What would you say is a a categorical fail or misstep? (laughs) And then we'll flip it and we'll talk, we'll talk about a so money moment or a successful time in your career. Um, but what would you say was one of the, the missteps you made?
1: Oh, so interesting. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm 29, so I haven't made that many career moves yet or like money choices yet that would really land me in, in something I would call a colossal failure category. But um I, I you know, my husband and I just bought an apartment and it is it is becoming clear to me. And not that this is a, it's not a failure. It's just a, it is a, it is a blunder on my part that like I did not acknowledge how much time, money, effort go into. Renovations, purchases, etc. So the first, the first thing I did wrong was we'd set a price in our mind that we were comfortable with, and then you know, like any good seller does, they they create this flurry of other bids, and everyone wants it, and da 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 da. And you know, I just was a ter- terrible, terrible bargainer, <laughs> and ended up, you know, ended up meeting the price that they wanted because I thought the apartment was so worth it, which is the first mistake I would say we made because you should never. You should never, you know, I I was told by a a very close confidant that they thought that the best place to overextend yourself was always in real estate, because especially in Manhattan, like you're always going to make your money back there. You know, the the island is not getting any bigger. The real estate's not getting any bigger. So you are going to be able to sell it, you know, at least for what you paid, if not a, a good profit. But, um, I never liked the idea of overextending myself on, on a purchase. That's not essential. And, uh, and then now that we're going through the renovation process, it's again, it's just these little, every day it's this little sort of like, is this really worth spend, you know, kitchen renovations, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Like who knew that this oh, is. I know <laughs> I'm going through renovation
0: right now and um, we had to fire our contractor like two weeks before yeah. we were supposed to start shut up drunk at my house. Well, get out. Are you serious? Yeah. Drunk and medicated. Um, Oh, that's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, Oh, I have to fire you.
1: Thanks. But but that's important too, is like knowing, knowing when to fire people is, is as important as knowing when to keep them and like, you know, move past challenging parts together because you know, I, in past business dealings, I've been really close to paying outside consultants exorbitant fees or, you know, or, you know, going into a business venture where it would have been such a colossal mess if I'd done that at that time and being able to have the, the, you know, the long range vision of this is not essential now, maybe down the road it will be, but this is going to be something that makes me financially uncomfortable and being able to pull back from it, I would say is is something that I've been working on and something that I've, I'm really excited that I've been successful at because it is, um, it's maturity. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's, especially when you're building a house, you know, we're renovating, so you don't, you're not gonna have everything you want anyway, but when you're, when you're given this sort of, again, like that clean slate, all those open doors, it's overwhelming. And you don't know where, you know, where are you really going to derive maximum enjoyment and pleasure from having put your resources in. Um, and so in, in any financial category, but I would say right now, top of mind for me is in, in real estate, it is being able to discern what are the places that I'm really going to benefit hugely. Where, where am I going to get the most margin of benefit and where am I going to be okay? Just putting what I, putting what I need in.
0: Exactly. And when, how, when do you know it's okay to just cut your losses? <laughs>
1: Right. right. Which I think is, you know, it's, it's hard. You invest in relationships, you invest in your time, you know, you, you, people, this whole, I never in microeconomics in college, I like never understood the concept of sunk costs. I was like, no, but I've (laughs) already spent all this money. Like something good has to come out of it. And it's, um, you know, slowly, but surely you start to realize it doesn't matter. You're not going to recoup those costs. You're just going to end up bleeding more. And if you'd kept your you know derelict contractor, you probably would have ended up much job worse off than you yeah, are. Yeah, I'm
0: actually happy he showed his true colors before yeah. we had signed anything. I hadn't given him any money, um, <clears throat> but it was just uh, – it was an inconvenience as I've learned that, you know, I, something that I've learned actually in life is that, some, you know, when when I was younger, any problem was like a huge problem. You know, everything was drama. And now I'm realizing that some things are just inconvenient, Yes. And it's a nice way to think of things because it doesn't mean that the, like the world's going to end. It's just that, okay, this is going to require a little bit more work than I thought, but everyone's healthy. Everyone's okay. We're all breathing, you know,
1: everything's Absolutely. still standing and, um, it does put it's things in perspective. Yeah. But no, abs- I think that's so smart. And it's so true. Cause there, um, you know, you, there, there are just points where you feel really overwhelmed, by the, the moment in your life that you're going through. And when you realize that, you know, it's part of a much larger human experience. And it's also, you know, comparatively speaking, a very relatively minor inconvenience, it does help to sort of just take a breath and step back and realize that, you know, it's a new opportunity, a new start. And and oh God, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely botch this saying too, but there was someone said to me recently when you oh it was on our show actually it was a field piece we did this woman was incredible um, she'd been she'd started her own restaurant and then uh, you know had had kind of like a relationship falling out that spiraled her into depression and uh, you know drug and alcohol abuse and ended up losing her the restaurant and ten years later she found herself this like rehabilitated story um, opening a new restaurant up in Maine and having this wonderful, great new life for herself that she's much happier in, actually. And what she said was, um, sometimes when you feel like everything's falling out of order, everything's actually falling into place. And mm-hmm. I thought that was so true where you, you know, you, we don't have the, you know, the, the, the Monday, Monday morning quarterback ability on our own lives yet. So you don't know why things are happening the way that they are, but, but there is a, it's very interesting to me to hopefully see all the opportunities that happen, even in things that aren't, don't at the outset seem like positive ones.
0: Exactly. Yeah. i it's nice to think of, life in, in those, in those ways. Well, so would you say your success is being able to have the, the, I guess it's really being brave enough to say like, this is, I'm going to cut my losses here. Or was was there a specific time in your life where that really,
1: uh, came to play? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think, Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it would be cutting my losses. And there are times that I can think of that I'm not going to talk about only because they're, they're still pending. But I think that, I think, you know, I think that I was really proud of myself for being able to say, we've gone the core, we've gone the full length of this course and we are done now. And it's, and, and, you know, I wish you well, but this is something that we have to just call it quits on. Um, but I, I, you know, in, in business, that's, and I, I I don't know why, but I always want people to like me and I, I like want it to end things nicely and I want them to feel comfortable about things. And my husband's always like, you have to realize it's business. This is not like me. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not, um, it's not, you know, they're not expecting to be your best friend. They're expecting you to be honest with them and forthright and, and fair. Um, but they're, but they're also hoping that you'll, be blind or naive enough to take what they want and do it and do it the way they want. And that's not always necessary either. So I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm learning a ton from my, my, my husband just graduated from Wharton last year and, um, and I, I learned as much vicariously through his business degree (laughs) as he did, I think. Um, but I would I would also say hopefully, you know, when we choose to flip this apartment, that hopefully I'll have a huge success story to tell you about that.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know, there's a very good chance in New York City. Um never say never, but I think that it's usually it's more often than not a, a safe bet. Right. What about your number one financial habit, Daphne? You mentioned earlier in the conversation that, you know, you do make sure to check your bank balance regularly that gives you comfort would you say that's your number one habit or is there something else that you do to keep uh your financial well-being uh in good shape
1: yeah no i would say i mean um i would i would definitely say like checking my when i go to the atm when I go to the ATM, I always take out like a set amount so that I know it was me withdrawing so that if any for you know whatever reason there's like a weird withdrawal or there's a weird um you know instance of something happening a, it helps it helps me just to keep track of things. But B, it you know obviously signals to my bank if there's a weird thing going on. I do check my balances. I also this and this is just like an anal thing that my husband again like has made me do, but I but I love doing now. And it gives me a chance to do some you know adding and subtracting on a regular basis. I I um, whenever I put a tip on or you know whatever it is, whenever I take whenever I you know fill in a bill, um, I always take it up to the next. The, to, so if you're gonna tip someone four dollars. And the, the, you know, I add on whatever number of cents it's going to be to make it a round number. So that the total is around like a final number mm-hmm. of $12, whatever it is. Um, and I find that that also really helps when I'm, cause you know, you, you want to just skim through your stubs at the end of the month or, or, you know, before you know, we, you know, we have our credit card bills um digitally, obviously like enough, everything's paperless. So you, you run the risk of as a result of that, not really paying attention to what's going on because you're, you're just not given, you're not being given a, a monthly reminder to check what's happening. So when I go on and scan it online, it just gives me like a really clean palette to skip, sift through and say, yes, 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 yes. I remember making all these charges. And again, it's just little details that I know to recognize as my own and not fraudulent in some way.
0: That is, I've never heard of anyone say that in, I mean, I I always did that too with, you know, you you find like the perfect um, decimals (laughs) so that it rounds out to a zero, zero, right. But I would just do it because it was like, it was clean and easy, but that's
1: actually smart (laughs) that it could also help you detect fraud. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've gotten, I've actually gotten phone calls from like Amex or, or you know, Chase or whomever saying like this charge was made at this restaurant. We know you do X, Y, and Z usually. Like they know this. I mean, it's creepy, also, but they they do pay attention. (laughs) You're a good patron to that restaurant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks before we wrap up. You've been so fun, Daphne. I could talk to you for. Uh, a long time. It's no wonder you're, um, you're one of the most popular people on TV. People like watching you. It's like you got your girlfriend on television. Uh, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million dollars. The first thing I would do is, Oh, come on.
1: This is so good. I've, uh, the first thing I would do is, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to get a bigger apartment and a live-in masseuse. <laughs> nice.
0: I like that. I like that. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better
1: is? My babysitter. She is my wife. <laughs> and she and she is the only reason that I get to do any of the things that I can, that I can do on TV and on elsewhere that Philo can't join me for.
0: It's so true. I read an article that said in order to lean in, you have to as a woman, there's so many costs that you have to pay for in order to afford the the professional career that you want, whether it's childcare and a house cleaner and someone to run your errands and this and that and other thing. Um, Men don't have to do that.
1: No, it's funny. You know, if my husband gets called away on a business trip last minute, um, he he picks up and leaps, you know, because there's always a backstop. I'm always here. But, you know, there was an instance a couple months ago where like there they needed me to run to do something. And it was it was going to take me away overnight and I couldn't do it because I couldn't line up something, you know, someone to take care of Philo. And it's and it's, you know, that is something an absolute concern of a mom's that that I don't think dad's. I don't think traditionally dads have had to deal with. And I think now you, you know, you really strike that balance or you try to check the balance in your relationships when there are two working members if it's like, you know, I can't come home after working all day and feel like, feel like this second, this is all my responsibility as well. You know, there has to be shared, um, there has to be shared time and shared, shared effort as in, in childcare, as much as there is in bringing home money for the household and, you know, being both being able to pursue careers that you love.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Um, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life, Oh wait, you already you're answered that. Sorry. Yep. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is Oh,
1: Filo bunny loves ice cream. So we go, we go for like expensive ice cream a lot because I'm like, if you're going to eat it regularly, let's have it be organic and good for you. And you
0: know, anything like, in life worth doing is worth doing well, right?
1: Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. And I shop for a lot. I mean, I, I try to cook for her a lot and, and we go to, and we get the organic food. And like, I would a hundred percent, my, my biggest, it's not guilty. It's just my, my most extravagant expense is on groceries, hands down. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Do you cook a lot actually at home? I, I try to. I mean, I, I went through like the first I would say maybe six, eight months after I gave birth, I really just I was not. I mean, I was exhausted. It was nursing. I was like the whole thing. I just I was not in any place to to be cooking creatively. Um but I I find that now now that she's a little older and, and certainly, you know, we're off for the summer now, so now I have a little more free time. And I was in the process of developing a a new cookbook as well. So I was cooking a lot for that, but I I love to cook as long as it doesn't feel like a pressurized activity. You know what I mean? So like, which is why I would never do iron chef. I would never do anything like that. Cause it's like, it would just steal all the joy out of why I love to cook. Um, But you know, I, I, anything that I can make in like half an hour that these are the, really the recipes I've been focusing on. It's like, what are the things that I can make that my family's going to love that feel is going to enjoy. And my husband's going to like too. and it's not going to take me more than half an hour to, to, my active cooking time to make it come together, you know, yes, I can make time for that.
0: 30 minutes. I like that. 30 minutes. Yeah. If it's more than 30 minutes, it's
1: on a different recipe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My one thing I wish I'd known about money. One thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is. Oh, that
1: investing is better than saving. Yes, I, you know, I put it all I, I tell this story because it is just horrifying. I from my from my like, you know, schlocking on the bus that I told you about and various other, you know, little money things I would do like I, my, my parents would play tennis on the weekends and I would get one penny for every ball I picked up. By the time my brother came along, he'd obviously price gouge them up to like a nickel or, or like a quarter for every ball he picked <laughs> up. He was like raking in the cash. But anyway, I um I'd saved up money and I had saved about 400 bucks and, and had it all in my wallet. And my dad took us to a Yankees game and I left it in the <gasps> lakes room. But I was that, per, I was that kid. I was like, I want my money with me. I want to know I have it. I want, you know, I, yeah. I, so I took it with me, left in the bathroom and went back. Not, not a minute later, I went back gone. Um, and so I realized, you know, obviously ever since then my money's gone in the bank, but I also (laughs) like, you know, my, my, again, like poor John, uh, is, 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 you know, being talked about too much here, but he, um, you know, he's, he's the one who really spearheads investments in our family, but also, um, you know, talking, talking about the idea that the, the value of a dollar today, and the value of a dollar tomorrow not being equal and and you know where do you where do you employ your dollar now to make it maximize itself down the road you know if, if you can afford to put away a, you know a couple hundred bucks a couple thousand bucks it will it you know multiply itself manifold over before you actually need to use it if you can put it in a long term investment so things like that that i think i would never thought about when i was younger
0: i'm so sorry for that story
1: I know. How hard did you cry? I would have. Oh my god, I wept the yeah. whole ride home. I was like, my goodness. it was so sad. I mean, and I was like, I mean, 400 bucks is a lot. I would cry now if I like. Oh it. yeah, of course. But at nine, it feels like your entire oh, savings. You know, I, I mean, you know, it was it was hit hard. Was oh man.
0: Uh, oh okay. Almost wrapped here. When I donate money, I like to give to blank
1: because. So I donate primarily to two causes. One is to Health Corps, where where my family's nonprofit. We started in two thousand three. Um, it's it's physical education, nutrition. And also stress management education in schools across the country. We're in, I think, eleven states now, over sixty schools, um, and it's and it's an incredible, incredible program because you see how quickly kids become viral marketers. Uh, like you know, you teach them about complex carbohydrates versus simple carbohydrates, and suddenly their family is buying white uh, buying brown rice instead of white. You teach them about physical exercise, and suddenly their family is taking a walk after dinner instead of playing video games. You teach them about transcendental meditation. Which is our newest, uh, our newest tool, our newest strategy for for helping them cope with stress at home and stress at school. Um, and they are getting better test scores. They're more comfortable with their homework. They're just they're in a much more solid place, uh, which is such a gift, a free gift that you can give to a kid who's not in the best life circumstance and they get to go home and feel like they have this safe place inside of themselves, which is a huge, it just makes me very happy to be able to be any part of that program. Um, and then I also donate to, uh, oh, I guess two others. city meals on wheels provides, um, provides meals for elderly homebound people who don't have anyone to bring them meals. And, um, and the nurse family partnership does, Uh, are sort of similar outreach for, you know, either at-risk youth or moms who are going home to, again, to to places where they don't have family around. They don't have, uh, they may not have a husband. They may not have people there to help them. And it's this sort of, they're going to, the nurse will teach them about childcare and about the importance of talking to their baby and holding their baby, nursing if they can, but you know, how to feed properly formula if they can't, like all these things that you um, that are so not intuitive right off the bat, you would, you know, and it's certainly not when you're in like a really stressful life to begin with. Um, and it, it it is incredible the results they see in terms of happier, healthier, smarter babies down the road, babies that are better able to pick up new new skills and new knowledge because of the – simply by being held by their mom early on and being spoken to a lot it, it, as a young infant. Mm. So those are the things that I think are really – that I, I, I love to be a part of because I think they're so effective. It, you know, every dollar that you give is so hugely effective as it goes forward.
0: I love that. It's so important to read to your kid. People think, oh, well, he's only – six months, what? No, it's really, really important. People don't sometimes understand that, you know, just to know what a, just the experience, they don't know what you're saying, but it is, um, it is important to talk to your child. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And, and they're, they're, I mean, they're learning every single second of every day. You know, I mean, it's amazing the things that Fila will do that. I'm just like, you're one and a half how (laughs) the hell do you she like got her little foot um, jammed in in her like safety gate at my parents house and she was so mad it wasn't even like angry that she got hurt she was so mad that this gate had hurt her and she came over me and she like pinched me really hard to like show me how much she'd been hurt and then today I took her food shopping and I like she loves olives she's obsessed with them but I hadn't paid for them yet so I was like you can't eat them I have to like weigh them before I pay for them Um, and she realized that I would close the lid every time she'd take. one. So she, she literally like stuck her face into it so that she could eat one without taking her hand away. So I couldn't (laughs) close the lid. (laughs) See, so resourceful. They are, they're clever little beasties and, and they are, they pick up. I mean, I can't wait for her to start doing things that, you know, she scrunches her nose like a way that I do to her all the time. They're, they're, they just, they're mimicking everything. So absolutely read to your baby, talk to your baby, whatever you need to do, just, you know, be around them. Yeah. All right, Daphne.
0: Last but not least, I'm Daphne Oz and I'm so money because. Ah,
1: oh, <laughs> Um, I'm Daphne Oz and I'm so money because I am a killer wife, a great mom and a really good friend. And sometimes those orders flip, but I try to balance them all the, as much as I can and have fun doing it as, uh, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I try to take care of myself as much as possible as well. And I think that as a woman, it's so easy to forget that, you know, we're caretakers and we're caregivers. Um, but we need to take care of ourselves in order to be able to do those things. So focus on you too.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And thank you for being such a great guest. Yeah. Thank you. Daphne Oz, thank you so much. Um, have a wonderful rest of your summer. Enjoy your your few last remaining months of pregnancy, because it's going to get, uh, I feel like it's going to go from zero to 300 miles per hour very, very <laughs> soon for
1: you. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Thank you again. If you would like
0: to learn more about Daphne, her website is DaphneOz.com. She's also on Instagram and Twitter at daphneoz. All this info at manypodcast.com where you can also get the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money or work or life, guests, at somoneypodcast.com. There's a really good chance I'm going to answer it this coming weekend. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, hop on over to iTunes and leave a review for this show. Every Saturday at the top of the show I pick one new reviewer to get a free 15-minute money blitz with me or we can just connect and, you know, chat about whatever. We don't have to always talk about money, but it's really fun to connect. I love doing this, so if you're interested, leave a review on iTunes and hopefully we'll connect. Thanks again to my guest Daphne Oz. Thanks to you for ch- for tuning in. Stay tuned tomorrow. We've got Dr. Paul Zack. He's a neuroeconomist. What is that? Well, we've got the goods. Thanks again. Hope your day is so money.